Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. As we're thinking about Christmas and we're talking about this series, Twas the Night Before. We've been looking at uh, hope and we are looking at different things like joy coming up and we got peace today. I want to ask you first, did you have something when you were a kid or maybe even now as an adult, um, did you have something that you really, really, really wished for for Christmas? You know, uh, I'm wearing a shirt today from uh, Christmas Vacation, and if you watched Christmas Vacation before, you know Clark, his big wish for Christmas was... First for his Christmas bonus, right? But his bonus was so that he could get what? A pool for the family. That's right. He was going to want a pool for the family. And so that was his wish. We know how that turned out. At least initially, he got a membership to the Jelly of the Month Club, right? And we all know that that's the gift that what? Keeps on giving all year round. That's right. Exactly right. That's right, Clark. Um, but I know when I was a kid, some of you have heard me say this before, I really, really wished for a Millennium Falcon. Like, I mean, that big, huge toy ship from Star Wars, I wished for it and wished for it, and I never got it. Since then, people have really attempted, some of my family and different friends have given me like smaller versions. I'm not trying to be a little punk, but I'm like, it's just not it. It just, it just ain't it. You can't like open stuff, you know, you can't open the hatches and, you know, I mean, it's just like, I, I'm not trying to be ungrateful, but my heart's still broken. My heart's still broken. Um, but what'd you wish for? Anybody wish for anything over the years? Nothing. Y'all are just humble, good. What? Nintendo 64. All right. All right. Anybody? I cut him off. A puppy. All right. A puppy. Anybody wish for a Red Rider BB gun? Why? Because, yeah, you'll, you'll shoot your eye out. That's right. But we all have wished for different things. You know, maybe we wish for, you know, uh, as an adult, we wish for a vacation or something like that. Um, you know, and you say it around the, hopefully the right people. I don't know if it worked out for you. Just, you know, let me know about that. But if you ask people, what would they really, you know, if you had wishes, right? If you actually had wishes and say, okay, like almost like the genie thing, you know, I'm going to wish for this or, you know, you wish for, you know, ask Santa Claus, if you will. Um, a lot of people would probably say money, right? A lot of people say, man, I wish I had a lot of money because, you know, money would take care of things. If I just had more money, I would, everything would be perfect. Everything would be great. But like the poet Christopher Wallace said, you might know where I'm going with this. Mo money, mo problems. That's right. That's, that's notorious B.I.G.'s uh, name, just in case y'all didn't know. Um, <laughs> but if, if you're new here, you're like, where in the world am I going to church? He's quoting Notorious B.I.G. Um, at Christmas. But, but it's the truth, right? The more money you have, the more problems you have. Because if you, if you think you need a little bit more, guess what? When you get more, it's never enough. It's never enough. Um, you know, I, I can't remember exactly which multi-million billionaire it was. It was asked a long, long, long time ago. I think it was like one of the Rockefellers. And they said, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. And that's always going to be the answer, right? Just a little bit more. So maybe you wish for money, but money creates more problems and it doesn't make you happy. All the richest people in the world will tell you that. They'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes things better in some ways, but it adds to a lot of heartache. 
Maybe you wish for, you know, uh, the perfect spouse to come along, or you wish for your marriage to be really, really good. And marriage is a great thing. It's a gift from God, and it is really good until it's not. You know, and when I was going about this and, and kind of preparing this message, I asked Sherry, my wife, about that, and she, didn't, she couldn't relate to that. You know, like, it never not being good. I mean, right. No, I mean, I did not even ask her because I knew what answer I would get. But it, it can be good until it's not. And I don't know if anybody needs to hear this. This is free. I won't, you know, charge you for this. Um, if you're looking for a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend or something like that, if you're not to that step yet, to complete you, you'll be miserable for the rest of your life. And you will make that person miserable. Because you will be putting on them a burden that they could never carry or bear. And you will be disappointed and they will be hurt and disappointed if you find your meaning and your purpose and your identity in Christ first, then you can start to have a really good marriage. It won't be perfect still, but you can have a really good marriage. And so we know that, that that's not the, the best thing to wish for. Um, and some people would say, I just want to be happy. And that's, that's great. That's not a bad goal. That's a, actually a good one. But the problem is, is that happiness is really just based on circumstances. And happiness can be, you know, you can be really happy, but then, you know, when things don't go the way you want, you just are sad again. And so it's not going to be the answer. And so what would you wish for? You know, uh, if you ever watched, I don't even know if they're really on TV anymore. I don't hardly watch regular TV because everybody streams stuff. But how about like uh, beauty pageants, you know, Miss America or anything like that? What is the best answer for what's one thing you would wish for? World peace. world peace, right? I just want world peace. Just like, what's the perfect date? April 14th. You just need a light jacket or sweater, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, a couple of y'all got it. I appreciate it. But anyway, they would say, I want world peace or peace on earth. And that's nice. We would love to. I mean, more than ever, right now, you turn on the news, you, you get online, this world is in chaos because there are wars everywhere. The sad reality is that there's nothing new under the sun, like the Bible says, and there's always been wars. It's just we have more technology to see it all kind of like right in our living room, so to speak, right on our phone. But there's always been wars, so peace on earth seems fleeting. It almost seems impossible. But at Christmas, that's, that's kind of fitting that you might think about wishing for peace on earth. You know, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, you know, it was a, it was a pretty cool moment. They're on that hillside, and man, it's cold out there. You can imagine it was terrifying. Anytime you see an angel, it's not the fat little chubby kids with the wings. You know, it's like these terrifying, like people, creature type things, and they took some different forms. Sometimes they just looked like men, but regardless, they were always invoking fear in people. It was a moment when you're like, oh my goodness, but they told them about this new baby that was born, this Jesus, this king, and they told them about, and they started saying, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests, in Luke chapter 2. Jesus in his ministry, as he grew up, would often say things like, go in peace to people when he would heal them or he would spend time with them. The Apostle Paul would write in his letters, he wrote much of the New Testament, and he would often say at the beginning of his letters as a greeting, he would say grace and peace. He'd say grace and peace. It's kind of interesting though, he didn't say grace and popularity, did he? 
Didn't say grace and popularity. He didn't say grace and power, even though a lot of us would love to be a little more powerful and have a little more control. He didn't say grace and riches. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say grace and fame. He said grace and what? Peace. And honestly, you know, if, if I could look into my own heart, if you could look into your own heart, each of us, if we could really see past all the stuff, all the little white lies that we tell ourselves, and whether you realize it or not, we lie to ourselves better than probably anybody else we lie to. If I could look into my own heart, the answer to what I'm really wishing for, really hoping for, and you're probably doing the same thing, is, is really peace. You might try to get that peace with something else, but what you're looking for, the end result, the full product is peace. If you look down deep, you might not call it that, but what you're searching for is that you can have all the money in the bank, as we said, but you're still lacking peace. So many people do that. The, some of the wealthiest, most popular people in the world end up taking their own life because they just don't have enough peace. They feel empty. You can be successfully uh, successful outwardly, and you feel inwardly empty. It's just a common thing. You can be married with a great family, have all what it looks like, everybody, what everybody wants, but still not have any peace, still be miserable. So you want peace, but then you look at this world, a state of mental health, and you look at just society in general, and you realize that almost Nobody has peace, right? Almost nobody has peace. I mean, it's just, it's a chaotic world. You see tension, you feel fear, you feel anxiety. I mean, is that not one of the most used words in our society today? Anxiety. Everybody's anxious. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything, but we're all so very, very anxious. And then, I mean, this might seem very, very, very small and insignificant to you, but just think about this. If you got a little bit of age on you, you probably don't even have to be that old. Was road rage a thing that many years ago? I mean, it, it happened. But did it happen all the time? But it happens what? All the time. Because people don't have any peace and they're frustrated with their job and they're frustrated with their home life and they're frustrated with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their spouse, their kids. They're frustrated with the fact they don't have any of that stuff. And then you go too slow in front of them or you take your turn ahead of them and they and they do even worse things because people don't have peace. We have relationship struggles. We have friends that hurt us and betray us. We have family strife. And man, holidays are a time when it comes out. We have misunderstandings, disagreements, all these things, right? All these things just piling up. Hurt feelings, unforgiveness. But you're really searching for peace. In Isaiah 26, we see some words of hope and peace from Isaiah don't know if you've read Isaiah much before. It's an Old Testament book. He's a prophet. It's a long book. There's a lot of stuff in there. But what's going on is he is giving the first part of the book. He's giving warnings to the people of Israel, the people of God, because they are really, really being disobedient. And he says, look, danger is coming. You're about to be rewarded for your bad behavior. And you need the guys need to repent. We need to all turn around and turn back to God. And he's saying, look out, look out. You're going to be taken into captivity. But even in the midst of all that, he's still gives them some hope. He still gives them some promise of peace in the future. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you a spoiler alert. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about all that history stuff, but I'm going to tell you a spoiler alert. They don't repent. 
I mean, a few people probably do, but the whole nation doesn't repent. They get taken into captivity first. Assyria comes in and just really roughs them up, and then Babylon comes and takes them. You may have heard King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the book of Daniel, all that sort of stuff. He comes in, and, and they take him into captivity because they do not. But he still gives this message of hope. So I want you to read along with me. Isaiah 26, beginning in verse 1. Isaiah writes, he says, In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. Then he goes on and he says, in verse 3, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Now, you know, that's kind of almost poetic language, but what he's saying is he's saying, man, you know, God, build up the city. Allow the righteous people to enter into the city and be protected. He said, but if you trust in God, if, and he's saying this to anybody, anybody who trusts in God, he will give you, what did it call it? Perfect peace. I, I mean, sign me up, right? Sign me up. And some of you might already be going there in your mind. You're like, okay, I trust in God, but I don't have perfect peace. I don't know if you're willing to admit that, but that, that crosses my mind. I trust in God, but I don't have this perfect peace. I want this perfect peace. And God promises it. And my peace is just often imperfect. It is so imperfect. I don't know about you. When trouble comes, I've got good intentions. Are y'all with me on that? When trouble comes, you know, the first, you know, the bill comes in you weren't expecting, the car starts to break down, you turn the heat on and the heat doesn't come on, pay the bill for that. That's one thing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Sometimes you just can't. I've been there, done that many times. But when trouble comes, my first response is, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then the trouble doesn't automatically go away, and I'm like, I'm good. You're with me? You grit your teeth a little bit. You get a little bit angry. You might get upset. You might throw a couple things. You might say a couple things you probably shouldn't say. And then you keep on saying, God, God, I'm trusting you. God, I'm trusting you. And then a little bit length, a length of time goes by, and then do you ever get to that point? You're like, God, where are you? Me. Yeah. Somebody's brave. <laughs> Don't leave me alone, a couple of y'all. We get there and we're like, God, where are you in this perfect peace that we want just is so, so fleeting. Even as believers, even as believers, not, not just people who don't know God, not just people who don't follow God, but even as believers, we struggle with this perfect peace. So what does it mean to be kept in perfect peace? What does it mean? You know the word that's translated peace there in Isaiah 26 is a Hebrew word. Guess what? You probably heard of this. Shalom. You ever heard that word? Very, very famous, often used word, right? Shalom. Shalom. You know, we see it. If you ever watch The Chosen, that's their greeting for everything. You know, if you ever seen any kind of period biblical movie like that, you know, they'll use that a lot. It's a very, very common Jewish uh, greeting. Shalom. And so this word is, is literally shalom. It, and it carries the idea of completeness. You know, it's not just simply peace. You know, it's, it's completeness. It's fullness of peace. Like just this full, complete, you know, it's like there's a Greek word teleos that we often understand as perfect. And it's talking about mature and full. It's the same version except the Hebrew word. 
And so it's the idea of wholeness in body, too. It can be used in many ways. You know, you can wish somebody shalom in their body, that they would be healed and full, and they would be healthy and strong, right? It's just being completely at rest and being completely full and content. And I'm telling you what, I want that. And so when you see the idea of it being used in peace with God, it can be used with God and, I mean, with us and other people. So, like, if you want world peace, people to stop fighting wars, you would say, I want shalom. I want them to stop fighting. But it comes between that God and that man relationship. It can be peace within yourself. You know, it's like, I really need some shalom in here. And then it can be just peace in your circumstances. Man, I just wish everybody would just be a little bit more shalom, you know, a little bit more peaceful. But here's something that's really, really interesting. I, I don't claim, I'm, I'm not, a, I, I study Greek as much as I can. I, I try to give you guys some morsels as it really helps and benefits, but I am definitely not a Hebrew scholar. But there's something interesting I found doing a little bit of word study in this. But it, guess what word in the Hebrew that is translated perfect in that phrase perfect peace? Guess what word it is in Hebrew? Shalom. So it literally reads, shalom, shalom. But that, that's cool, right? What it's saying is, is shalom or peace squared, right? Peace times two, peace times itself. I'm saying, I want you to have this shalom, shalom, like peace, peace. Not just a little bit of peace, this overwhelming, just if, if peace is completeness and fullness and just this utter sense of calm, I want you to have a double portion of it, he's saying. I, sign me up, right? Give that to me, God. Where is it? Where is it? How do we get it? We're getting there. We're trying to get there. Here's what I want you to know. Here's the kicker, I think. Here's the thing where people sort of get tripped up, where most people get confused, and if we're being honest, maybe even angry. You ever willing to admit you get angry at God sometimes? Peace doesn't mean that we won't have trouble. Peace doesn't mean that we won't have trouble, that we won't have problems. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is, is that we know that stuff is still going to break down. Kids are going to fight. Your spouse will still get on your nerves. The bank account will get low. And here's what I want you to know. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. Peace is found in the presence of God. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. Peace is found in the presence of God. And we have got to start wrapping our mind around that. If you're looking, if you're looking, just like the whole spouse thing we talked about earlier, if you're looking for a spouse, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, to make you feel complete, you will be miserable. The same thing is true. If you're looking for a life with no trouble, no struggle, you will be sad and heartbroken for all of your days. But if you start seeking peace in the presence of God, that's where you'll find it. So learning to rest in God's presence, looking for God's perspective, trying to see things the way he sees them, the way it shares in his word, looking and trusting for God's assurance. We talked about that last week some. We've talked about that over the past couple of weeks, that God is batting a thousand, right, in his faithfulness. But do you always see the answers to your prayers? If you look, okay, not just your life. Look back through the Old Testament especially. Look back through the New Testament. When God's people were in trouble, he was always what? 
faithful? Did it automatically come? Did their answer come and show up the next day during their troubles and their, their struggles and their trials? No. It often took years because they needed to learn or they were rebellious. I mean, you fill in the blank. There's lots of different reasons, but God was always faithful. And so you look and you trust that he is going to take care in his assurance. That's how you start to find peace. And while the world is going crazy, you can trust in the presence of God. So you may be thinking, how? I I hear you and I want it but I haven't seen it in my life. So how do I find peace when my marriage is shaky? You know, how do I find peace when my kids just won't listen? You know, how do I find peace when my sister's on drugs? <laughs> how do I find peace when I'm addicted to pornography? How, how do I find peace when I'm in pain constantly? How do I find peace when my bills are, are drowning me? How? How do I find peace? The truth that you got to start to realize is that the war for peace begins in your mind. The war to get peace begins in your mind. So you have to begin to believe God. Some of you are probably sitting here saying, well, that's easy for you. You're a preacher. It's not easy for me all the time. You may say it's easy for you. It's easy for other people, but it's not for me. But I want to look at that key verse from Isaiah 26 in a couple of different translations to see if it kind of help clarify a little bit. Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is from the NIV. It says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast, because they trust in you. And let's look at another version here. The, uh, this one is a New Living Translation. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Do you notice what the condition is there? Perfect peace can come to those whose thoughts are fixed on God. That's, that's the catch. That's the, you know, that's the thing that you've got to start working on. And, and you may be saying, oh, yeah, 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 I, I'm there, but I still don't have peace. But are you really, though? <laughs> because there are so many times that I'm casually thinking about God, but I'm not fixed and focused on God. I, I do believe that I have a little bit of, you know, ADD of some sort. I get easily distracted. I am definitely that person that's doing something. Oh, squirrel, you know. You know, I'm like trying to straighten up the house and, you know, okay, I got to take these clothes up and put them away in my room. And then it's like, okay, there's a bag of trash. I need to put this clothes down. I'm going to take the bag of trash out. And on the way to take the trash out, I, I see, oh man, somebody didn't shut the garage door. And they go to shut the garage door. And it's like, oh, somebody left the light on. You go in there and you go in the garage and you're like, man, oh man, you know, the kids didn't put the cat food cover on back on the cat food bin. I got to go that. And then, you know, three hours later, the clothes are still laying in the living room, you know? <laughs> And all God's people said, amen, at least a few of us, right? That's the way my focus and my attention is on God sometimes. Are are you there at all? I'm lightly focusing on God, but I'm not focused and I'm not steadfast. And my eyes and my heart aren't fixed on him because I'm watching CNN or Fox News or I'm on Facebook all the time, or I'm on Twitter. Man, I, I, if you get on Twitter, you just think the world is about to end. I mean, because 
You got all the world's problems and everybody fighting about those problems right there in front of your face. And you just, sometimes you just, you're focused on the future, right? The unknown. I don't know what's going to happen. You're focused on your finances. You're focused on, you know, that upcoming doctor's appointment where you're afraid of what test results you're going to get or your friend's going to get or your family member's going to get. And that word in the, the verses there that's translated stayed or trust or fixed, depending on which translation you use, is another Hebrew word that is basically samak. And it means to lean on, to fully rest on, to really lean on. And you know what's interesting? And I, I, maybe this might make it a little more clear for you. It, it turned the light on for me, and so I want to share it with you. It's the same word that is used in the Old Testament when the priests would come and they would offer a sacrifice for the different various sacrifices and would take the blood of that, uh, or they would, they would take their hands and they would place their hands on the head of that animal that was being sacrificed and they would confess all the sins of the people. And so if if you're thinking about that, that's the only way that you had to have your sins, uh, you know, pushed back, rolled aside and pushed aside or in their minds forgiven is that this sacrifice was going to take those sins for you and, and give its life for you. Now, we ultimately that was foreshadowing who? Jesus, right? But back then, so the priest would say, okay, I confess on this animal. Don't you think that that priest was leaning pretty hard on that sacrifice? He's like, man, take this stuff, God. Take my sin. Take everybody's sin. And so it's that word. It's like resting on and leaning on. And, and that just was cool to me, is that that's the word. Is That's the attitude. That's the, 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 the amount of spiritual and physical and emotional pressure that we need to be laying on God. It's like, God, I'm leaning on you for everything. That's what it takes to start getting some of that peace. It can't just be a passing glance or a passing thought about God that's heavily leaning on him. And so you'll find perfect peace when your mind is leaning on God, you'll have perfect peace when your thoughts are resting on his perfect promises. So what are your thoughts fixed on? I want to encourage you to do something. I've mentioned this a few times. If you go on your phone, I believe Android and iPhone both have them. You can go and look at your screen time report. That can be kind of scary sometimes. See how much time you spend on your phone focused on things that are maybe okay, but just not that important. And how do you spend your time? That's just one small way. You can go look at your browser history on your, on your phone or on your computer. You can go look and see uh, your Netflix, and it says, because you watched XYZ, and then it's going to put all these lists of movies. Is it stuff? I'm not saying you, you can't watch anything that you know, is above PG. I'm not saying that. But what are you filling your mind with is what I'm saying. That might be why you're struggling. What are you filling your mind with? When your mind drifts, where does it land? Where do your thoughts go when your mind drifts? Is it financial worries or is it society's divisions? Is it war? Is it your kids? So how do you train your mind to rest on God? Well, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, he says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have leaned or learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. 
He says all this list of things to these good and these excellent, these admirable things, those are the kind of things that you're supposed to fix your mind on, that you're supposed to spend your time focused on. Then you might be able to get some of that peace that you're looking for. So he goes on and he explains this a little bit more. One thing that's interesting to me is when you read the New American Standard Version of the Bible, uh, there may be some other translations that use this word, but it says, um, think on these things. It uses the word dwell on these things. And I love that. It's not what they intended. You know, dwell is to focus and to really spend time on. But it also can be like a dwelling place, right, where you live. I like to think of it that way. Do I live in things that are admirable and excellent and praiseworthy? Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, I know what you're thinking. You know, this world is not excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. So what does that mean, though? That you just give up and say, I can't think about those things? I can't dwell on those things? I can't live on those things? No, you just say, I got to work that much harder because the world's not going to help me, right? And so you got to protect your peace. you got to start thinking about these good things that God is bringing into you. And he says this conditional statement, if you want this peace, you've got to think about these things. You can't keep doing the same things and expecting different results. That's what? Insanity, right? You've got to start doing something different. So what are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with and your heart with? You have to fill them with God's truths. God is good, right? God is good. God is true. His promises are true. He cannot lie, Scripture says. And so when Satan tries to tell you, well, he's not going to show up for you, you say it's a lie. Because God's always been true. He's always been faithful. He's always been proven right. He's batting a thousand. I'm not going to believe you. Satan, you're lying to me. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us, the Bible tells us. When I'm lost, he guides. When I'm weak, he is strength. He is good. When I hurt, he's my comforter. And you remind yourself of these things. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Tell yourself that over and over and over and over. That last one is key. You can't have this peace outside of Christ. If you've sort of been standing close by thinking about giving your life to Jesus for a while, but you haven't yet, I want to encourage you, you're never going to experience what everybody else is until you get in Jesus Christ. If you believe in him and you want to turn away from your sin, just say, I'm done with it, I'm leaving it. You don't have to get your life perfect, but just say, I'm done with it. And you confess him as Lord, you meet him in baptism, he washes away your sin, he gives you his Holy Spirit, and you can be in Christ, and you can start to have this peace, and you can start to lean on these things. That's the difference maker. And here's what Jesus said, I love it, in John chapter 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Not, let your hearts not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus said, my peace, not a peace. It's not just some random peace. It's his peace that he will give you. And he made this promise, guess when? Right before he went and suffered on the cross for your sin and my sin. Right before everything fell apart, he knew what was going to happen. And that's a, the best reminder that I think we can be given is that your peace isn't found in your circumstances outside. You know, it's your peace is found in the presence of God. If Jesus can say, before he goes to the cross, I'm going to give you my peace, you can, you can rest in it. 
You can know. If he can find that peace before he goes to the cross, you and I can find it. You remember when the disciples were on the boat with Jesus and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and this big storm comes up? I don't know if you ever heard this story in Mark chapter 4, but this big storm comes up and it says the disciples were terrified. A lot of them were fishermen, and so you know it's a bad storm. If they're terrified, they grew up on the water, they're used to this. They are sitting there, and Jesus is taking a nap. Taking a nap, and they are straining at the oars, and these dudes actually fussed at Jesus. I mean, the audacity. They fussed at Jesus. They wake him up, and they're like, come on. In Mark chapter 4, verse 38, it says this, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. You know, I can see him just sort of, stumbling out. Man, why y'all got to wake me up? Peace. Go back to bed. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's what he did. But they were so worried about this storm on this sea and the creator of the sea was in the boat. That's stupid. <laughs> but I'd have been the same way. I'd have been the same way. I'd have woke him up a lot earlier than they did probably. I'd have been dropping stuff by his head. Oh, excuse me, Jesus. <laughs> At least I'm slick. I can hide how I don't believe. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm struggling. I struggle like all of us. But here's the thing. I'm almost done. Stick with me. There were two storms that day, right? There were two storms that day. There was a storm that was around them, but there was also the storm that was what? In them. There was one on the outside and one on the inside. And the truth of the matter is, is that oftentimes the inside storms are much worse than the what? The outside storms. Don't you even care about me, God? You ever found yourself saying that? Don't you even care that I'm, I'm struggling here? Don't you love me? Don't you care? Jesus was the one who spoke and said, peace, be still. Because the truth is, is that you and I can't speak peace that we don't have. And we've got to start resting on Jesus' peace if we're ever going to feel peace. And so Jesus is peace, and he gives us peace. You know what happened in World War II? There was a woman by the name of Corey Ten Boom. She was a believer in Jesus who was from Holland, I believe, and she was taken prisoner finally because they were trying to save Jewish people from the Nazi regime. And they came together, and uh, they were having a hard time, and they finally got caught, and they were thrown into prison camps, Nazi prison camps. And in her book entitled, A Prisoner and Yet, here's a few things that she wrote of her time during the concentration camp. It says, as Corey and Betsy, her sister, were becoming acclimated to life in a concentration camp, Corey observed the following as she watched her sister, uh, Betsy. In the barracks, sitting on a bed, a few rows over, doing some mending. There was something homelike about the way she sat there. Her face was so peaceful and sweet. The pleasant atmosphere which Betsy always seemed to create about her at home had not left her even here in a concentration camp. Betsy lived a life devoted to service to the Lord before her imprisonment, which shone on her face and her actions while she was in prison. 
Then it says this, early on in her imprisonment, Corey would often think about she and her sister being released, hoping sooner than later. But as the days and weeks went by, she started to just focus on the present. And she said this, God has called us to this place, and here has us now our task. I had to learn not to look forward constantly to being released, but to accept the fact that I was here. And then it says, when Corey was standing outside for hours and hours at roll call, she would look past the guards and the barbed wire fences at the mountains and the meadows and the flowers in the distance, and she yearned for the day that she could enjoy God's creation and freedom. And Corey thought to herself then, the earth is a concentration camp. Someday we shall be free. Someday the limitations of earth will pass away and heaven will be our dwelling place. We shall no longer be conscious of the presence of demons. And then one last one. It says, as Corey's sister Betsy was nearing death, Corey observed the following. Betsy was not afraid to die, she wrote. She always talked about heaven as if she had already been there. She knew that her life was hidden with Christ in God, like it says in Colossians chapter 2. So I ask you, can you learn to trust on the presence of God even when your world around you is crumbling? Philippians chapter 4, what Paul wrote just before he said to think on all these things and then you'll have peace. Here's what he wrote in verses 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So real quick, what are some practical ways that you can fight for this peace? First thing you can do is worship. What we do is singing here, that's worship, but that's not the only worship you can do. You start saying, God, I'm going to worship you in everything, for everything, with every circumstance, with every situation. I am going to praise you. I'm going to listen to things. I'm going to listen to Christian music that's praising your name, but I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. My life is going to be an act of worship. I'm going to just focus on living my life for you. Focus on gratitude. Focus on just being thankful for everything like Corey Ten Boom could do, even in the midst of a concentration camp, one of the worst things that we can imagine being grateful for every small thing. And then last but not least, check your mind fuel tank. Check your mind fuel tank. What are you putting in? Are you putting in things that are excellent and praiseworthy and good and righteous and noble? Are you putting in stuff that's draining you? How full is your tank? I want you to hear this little phrase here. You can read it on the screen with me. It's hard to worry when you're worshiping. And it's hard to worship when you're worrying. It's time to just start praising God and ask him to change your perspective and your mindset to focus not on the troubles around you, but the spirit that's inside of you. Remind yourself it's the peace of God, not the world's peace. The world didn't give it to you and the world can't take it away from you. And know this, 
Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. Peace is found in the presence of God. Don't leave here carrying the same burden that you came in with. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. If you need somebody to talk to or pray with, we're here for you. I'll be right over to the side. But let's learn to trust God in every circumstance, and we'll start to have that peace. Let's stand. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.